two nights alone Two nights alone at the table Welcome to Alone at the Table, the podcast about movies and the weird conspiracy theories around them. Uh, I'm Luke, and with me is... Nick! And we have a special guest in uh, the studio with us today. Uh, go ahead and why don't you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Michaela. Uh, so we're going to be talking today about the labyrinth and the theory that the labyrinth is secretly. Is this a, movie called the labyrinth? I just I, I always call it the labyrinth. It's oh, just okay. labyrinth. Cool. Uh, we're going to be talking about how how labyrinth is secretly about girls going through puberty, which is why we got an actual human girl. Yeah, we brought a token woman in. Uh, yeah, uh, to discuss yeah. to discuss women's issues uh, in film, apparently, yeah. or in this film. So let's go ahead and start off. Uh, just by talking about a couple things. Sure. Let's talk about our stance on where we where we feel uh, or how valid we feel. How valid? Yeah. Let's start with our, our, our validity one, and then we'll go. To the, we'll do the numbers, the year in the movie. Yeah, the we'll do the year in the movies. Yeah. I am starting my uh, feelings off by saying. I am lukewarm at best, mm-hmm. and by lukewarm, I mean I don't buy this shit at all. Okay. Some of the all theories right. in this in this uh, in this theory are so far reaching uh, that it kind of makes me sick to my stomach a little bit. It makes you sick to your stomach. It does. It's very it's that very reaching. Lot. It's trying to make a movie that's not good into being more than it is. Um. Yeah. Well, I I think I think it wants the movie to be more than it is. For what it is, I think it's fine. Let's say that. High praise. Yeah, I'm damning it with faint praise as much as I can. So what do you think about um, the theory, though? The theory is bullshit. Okay. Um, I, because I've heard this theory applied to uh, The Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan. Basically, anytime you have a lady protagonist, I've heard this theory be trotted out. Is Peter Pan a lady? <laughs> well, no, but Wendy. I mean, she's historically played by a lady. Yeah. And, and Wendy, you know, is a lady protagonist, or at least last time I checked. So, Michaela, where do you where do you stand on this theory? What do you think? About ten percent. Ten percent. That's 10%. way higher than me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's ten whole good. percentage points. Well, I can't mm-hmm. wait to find out what your ten percent is. Uh, right. So that kind of gives us a good starting off point. Sure. But let's talk about nineteen eighty six. Nineteen eighty six is nothing but hits, baby. Hot dog. Nothing but hits. Let's talk about Howard the Duck. Oh man, George Lucas was killing it. This George year, Lucas wasn't he? was killing it in nineteen eighty six. True confession, I love Howard the Duck. Really, I love that film it, for no no real good reason. It's no, just there is no good reason. It's just dumb fun to me, wow. and I I think I saw it at the right time, and I caught it on cable one afternoon when, and it was a source of joy for me. Um, what about uh, what about the movie that everybody thinks is better than the original, but is actually not Aliens? Oh yeah, that happens. I mean, that's right up there with Critters, right? Also no. in nineteen. 19- <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. No. And you've insulted James Cameron on this show before. I, and so why I will. Don't you, why I will, don't you insult aliens? I will not. I I will not stop insulting James Cameron. <laughs> I, I've been very clear that were I to encounter James Cameron, that's true. That I would uh, mock things that were not the Terminator. The real question I have about aliens is: Does it fetishize poor aliens? Uh, it fetishes. I do. Do you really want to do this right now? <laughs> no. Okay. I was going to say because there are some corporate themes we can. I can, I can get into the the idea of like using the poor as a workforce in space and watching them get murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's do that in a different <laughs> podcast. I didn't expect that coming yeah, up. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a different podcast though. Uh, we also have uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, that's one that uh, it might be the subject of a future podcast actually, because there are some weird and equally stupid theories. About yeah, it. I'm sure that the theory is something like Ferris Bueller doesn't exist or Ferris Bueller's mom is a ghost or... Uh, I mean, it's it's right in the Fight Club territory of yeah. him being the same guy. Yeah. Well, um, that's, but that's the other other... thing. Is Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Fight Club the same film? I like where your head's at, but wrong podcast uh, <laughs> for today. Let's talk about how uh, Karate Kid 2 came out. Oh, man. Such an inferior movie. Yeah. But hey, we did get Top Gun. That's true. Top Gun. Top Gun came out. Stand By Me. Transformers, the movie, not to be confused with right. the Michael Michael Bay uh, fluster cluck. That's right. Instead, the cartoon that kills all your favorite characters. That's right. With Orson Welles. That's right. That's right. Uh, Highlander came out. A movie that people have seen. <laughs> what um, about Crocodile Dundee? 
Oh, that's right. Crocodile Dundee came yeah. out. Yeah. And Platoon. Platoon came remember out. Remember when Charlie Sheen was a real actor? You remember when that was a thing? Yeah. I, I met vaguely. Yeah. I you know, you know, between that and Men at Work. <laughs> um Cobra came out that that year. Wow. Uh, my my favorite uh, Star Trek film came out that year, which is uh, the Voyage Home. Oh, the whales! Yes, the whales. I watched my. I used to watch that with my mom all the time, so I have deep love for that movie. It's all entirely sentimental. Um, the Great Mouse Detective. Finally, Disney does a movie about Sherlock Holmes and mice. <laughs> and the same year, an American Tale comes out. So I wonder if he tracked down. Those Russian mice that were breaking into the I country. Think, I think the thing we have to accept is that mice were very popular in the eighties. Yeah, People there's a lot mice. of there's a lot of cartoon mouse movies, and there's mice in Labyrinth. There are, yeah, so that's, that's true. Full circle. And there's that guy that I'm pretty sure is a, is a dog, but seems more like a mouse. Uh, <laughs> he's, I think I, he's a fox. Who's the he's only interesting character in the movie? Yeah, I, you know, you said that to me before we did the podcast, uh, before we started, and uh, I don't agree. He's fun. He's fun, but I wouldn't call cool him mustache. interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely got a, a stash. It's dog. not a sword. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not a sword. Well, it's a, it's like it's you could say it's it's a, a general stick. phallic symbol, which it's plays into what yeah, we're talking about. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's talk because right. if you want a phallic symbol, David Bowie's got one for you. He's going <laughs> to shove it in your face every chance he has. That's true. That's yeah. true. Dance, magic, dance. Oh Lord! All right. Well, let's go ahead and just let's just get into this. Sure. Because I'm ready to have this conversation. I yeah. So I'm where sure where do you want to start with this? Um, I'm going to step back on starting on it, and I'm going to I'm going to cede some of this to Ma- to Michaela. And that seems talk fair. About what she experienced, and and I'm just going to either laugh at it or nod. Maybe, or say something. Okay, there, there. fair enough. Sure. Okay, now when you say what I experienced, I hope we're talking about the movie. Uh, <laughs> what did you experience when you went through the movie? <laughs> right. And did it feel at all like right. Jennifer Connelly's journey through the labyrinth? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say it felt... A lot of goblins? Nothing during? like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of goblins, but none of those And I know for a fact that, that so. you were not listening to David Bowie when you were going through puberty, so that experience is probably completely alien that to you. That is true. Yes. That is true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll start out with... Uh, I do think it's a movie about growing up. There's some obvious themes of you know, taking responsibility and some fairy tale influences in there. Uh, as far as phallic symbols, it's a straight line, folks. Like anything can be a phallic symbol if you just think it's a straight line. Um, Bowie's junk is rather in your face, though, so that's that's fine. Um, what if we talk about so the very first thing that happens in the movie is the baby gets stolen? So what's not the, the very first thing that happens? Okay, in the movie. well, the <laughs> very first thing that happens first. is that park scene, <laughs> which is where like Jennifer Conley is cosplaying, and it's not good. That's true. It's mm-hmm. it's not, and the dog's name is Merlin. I mean, like, who? If if that <laughs> if that scene doesn't tell you right away how on the nose this movie's going to be the whole time, okay, I don't know what to do well, for you. Well, Henson, forgive me. I am going to. Yeah. Uh, skip a little bit ahead to when the baby gets stolen. <laughs> right. Uh, she's right. complaining about having a baby because she's a teenager and she because she, she has an evil and she has an evil stepmom. Yes, That's does. right. And so she evil. wishes the baby There's away. Air quotes happening there. Now, one of the things that I read about this theory mm-hmm. uh, is that the whole quest to get the baby back yeah. is about like her coming to terms with her fertility and motherhood. Mm. That theory makes me want to boil my head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think uh, that's crazy. If um, this, let me let me do. The she's cool... too old. That's part of the problem. That is part of the problem. The part of the problem with all of this is she's like fifteen. She's fifteen, and David very Bowie clearly... doesn't seem to care. No, David. If she <laughs> no. was eight, David Bowie's character wouldn't care. <laughs> like that's not a problem. Way to way to way to make that distinction there. You said yeah. I said David Bowie didn't care. Yeah. You said David Bowie's character. Yeah, didn't care. yeah, yeah. It's an important distinction. As a big fan of David Bowie, I appreciate. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm. But there's the, not much to love in this movie too. If you like David Bowie, there's not mm. much I, to love. I want to say the woke thing here. Oh, by, with, <laughs> with the with the fertility argument, uh-huh. would anybody be making that same argument if a man had to go through the the labyrinth to get the baby no no well no uh no no absolutely not just be like what a great story about a brother going to get his his brother back well and that's all this is it's it's a not a brother obviously right and and i guess if it was a brother going to get a brother it might be like a jordan peele film but (laughs) (laughs) no disrespect meant to jordan peele he's doing great stuff um but uh the thing is like yeah it's it's all about she's she's 
she's much older than this baby. It's much, much older. Mm -hmm. Clearly has been the only child for a long, long time. So I think that is the struggle there with a stepmother who, like, the, clearly the child is from the stepmother. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know what happened to her mom or, or any of that. Dad is 100% 80s dad. He has no investment <laughs> in the family beyond knocking on the door and saying trite shit. I already think you've made the the subtext of this movie more interesting than it is. Oh, okay. None of that is in the movie. It's 100% in that yeah, movie. Yeah, it is. Not in like an interesting way. Well, no. no I mean, it's it a, it's very. It's just, but it's just there. I mean, it's it's what informs her whininess, which is <laughs> okay. So I'm this is I was telling you about this, and I didn't want to ruin it before. This is my note on Jennifer Connelly's acting in this film. Jennifer Connelly makes Jake Lloyd look like a Juilliard trained <laughs> genius. <laughs> She is you so know, wooden, so boring. She has no range in this film. I know that Jake Lloyd suffered severe depression after mm -hmm. people attacked him so viciously. Yeah. I think that we should send this to him because I think he'd really I, he, appreciate it. Yeah, he, I think he should go back and watch that and be like, well, I was better than her. That's true. Because he was. That's true. Uh, what do you think is the deal with that? Jennifer Connelly's like a great actress. Now. What's her problem in this, this movie? This is clearly... This movie's bad. She probably didn't want to be in it. I... That could definitely be it. Uh, I don't think she's learned how to be an actress at this point. Mm. If you want to make this the argument that this is a journey for Jennifer Connelly into being an actress. <laughs> Based on this movie, I don't think Jennifer Connelly's even learned how to be a human being. <laughs> yeah, no, she's not doing things. No. At all. No. Like, her reactions to things that should be terrifying are not. No. Like, she, I think she, I think... I think, honestly, she can't get over the fact that she's sharing the stage most of the time with puppets and Steve Whitmire's voice. That's like, true. And Frank Oz's voice. Like, If I had to make a really uh, big claim about this movie, sure. I think, in terms of talent level, no one has come farther from being a child actress than Jennifer Connelly. You look at some of the great kid actors, mm -hmm. like Leonardo DiCaprio and yeah. Christian Bale, sure. they gave some of their best performances when they were kids. This is true. This is a completely different thing. It's a train wreck. Like, this is an Academy Award-nominated actress we're talking about right. here. And this is, is a Razzie-nominated uh, yeah. performance. Yeah, yeah, this is like a Halle Berry it's, situation. No, it's not good. Here. She's much better than Halle Berry. Yeah. That was a complete sidetrack. Uh, what, what do you think about the fertility thing? I think in terms of, like, pursuing a baby, I guess your uterus wants one, but, like, that doesn't mean she wants one. <laughs> so you're saying that her, her uterus is subconsciously going to save the baby? I, I think that's a stretch, but if you wanted to make this into a film about puberty, there's your argument. Wow. I think that women all uterus. across America just yeah. had a, could yeah. gain a complete new understanding of the way their uterus works. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, my uterus wants to go through labyrinths and talk to weird gnomes. I wonder why. I mean, that's <laughs> fair, I guess. But yeah. they definitely want to talk to weird gnomes. But So, some of the other things that I read about in sure. this one uh, were like... So, the labyrinth is in no way like a new idea. Uh, the no, labyrinth, not even a little bit. The labyrinth has been around for a very long time, and yeah. the way that the labyrinth works mm -hmm. is also not new to this movie. But some people are trying to say that because of the way the labyrinth changes, mm -hmm. uh, and because of the way she gets lost in the labyrinth, that mm -hmm. she has to find her way, sure. uh, that that somehow symbolizes her uh, going through puberty and finding herself and changing into an adult woman. So if I get lost... With a motion-tracking uterus. So if I... So if I <laughs> So if I get lost in the labyrinth and fight a bull, does that make me a man? It does. Yeah, is that how it works? It does. You, you either you... get lost in the labyrinth and, and and have a weird, awkward dance with David Bowie and then quote a book at him, or you uh, <laughs> you get lost in the labyrinth and fight a bull man. That's right. Yeah. But you would be wielding a sword, which is a phallic symbol. That's true. Uh, you would be looking She's at the wielding bowl, books, which... which are... And lipstick. And lipstick. Vaginal symbols. That is a weird thing. Yeah, that, that is, is a weird, weird moment. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about the lipstick. Sure. Because the lipstick... Uh, Doesn't make any sense with what's happening no. in that moment. No. So no, what no. I read about the lipstick, the reason she has the lipstick, mm -hmm. is because she uh, young women will use lipstick to make them seem older. Okay. Uh, and so when she uses the lipstick to mark her place, mm -hmm. uh, that that is her growing up and like becoming a woman. Mm. Mm. How, was... much, how much do women do this? Uh, you know, maybe once a year. At best. They uh, mark their I way often, through Yeah, I often places. use lipstick to mark my way through. You know, like, I was just in this part of the library. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, I also read part of that theory is that like those bricks change on her once she has marked them, mm-hmm. uh, which is supposed to symbolize like the unreliability of finding your way through life with feminine symbols, and that's just bullshit. So doesn't that just suggest the unreliability of mazes? Yes. Well, I mean, I, it also suggests I think the unreliability of life. Yes. Like that that. That's a big leap. Well, no. Here's the thing. I, labyrinths have been used as a symbol for life for, you know, mm-hmm. life's changes for a long time. To I'm be fair, there's buttholes yeah. in this movie, so let's not take it too seriously. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I can I can put some serious in Like, so my core argument that I got to is that Sarah is learning about the responsibility and inherent unfair nature of life. The idea that everyone is confused as you are. No one seems to know how to navigate the labyrinth. And just because of how things look... Uh, doesn't define their goodness or their badness, and many rules are arbitrary. I appreciate how seriously yeah, you took this this yeah. podcast. Yeah. So I want to say thank you from the bottom sure. of my heart. Sure. Sure. Wait till you hear me talk about George Lucas and where I think he belongs as a as a in cultural... the butthole swamp. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, I I had not seen the butthole swamp, uh, the, the the swamp of the bog of eternal stench in some time, and uh, butthole swamp is really. <laughs> Like it's I, not subtle. It's not subtle. It's as subtle as Hoggle peeing when you meet him. <laughs> That's true. Like which also comes back round. I don't know mm-hmm. if you caught that moment yeah. when they they're in the Goblin City and the fountain has one dude peeing to put the water in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I like how we're we're going back around. And I mean, everything, all the characters that we meet in there, we we actually meet them in the first five minutes of the movie. They're all stuffed animals or figurines in the. Like, Hoggle's the book, like, one of the book holders. Mm-hmm. Like, all of them are there. It's super, super Wizard of Ozzy. And if, like, right. if you want to take anything away from this movie, it's that it really wishes it was the Wizard of Oz. Like, it really, really, really wants to be the Wizard of Oz by way of Alice Quality level, they're almost identical. You're you're not wrong. I, 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 I mean, I... <laughs> I wasn't trying I find to be the controversial. I was trying to be sarcastic, but you are trying no, to be controversial. No, I, fi- I feel like The Wizard of Oz is a film that gets a pass. That's a whole, like, probably another whole other podcast, <laughs> but it gets a pass for not being that good of a film. All right, well, I don't want to get into that because <laughs> I've already got James Cameron knocking down my door. Yeah, he's um, calling you regularly like, you need to fire that guy yeah. and get me on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't want Jim, Jim Cameron on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I don't know why I called him Jim. I don't yeah. know. I James know. Cameron, if you happen to be listening, I would love for you to come to our humble uh, studio that you would have a very hard time finding, I'm sure, and uh, and and debate us over our one microphone uh, about how your films uh, don't stand up. That's true. You're, and, and then maybe a couple tickets to the next 10 Avatar movies. <laughs> that was another sidetrack. Yeah. So I think everything you said in your thing sure. just makes me think that this is a coming-of-age movie. It is. That's all it is. People are, mm-hmm. I think people are grafting other things onto it. Right. Like, um, the fact that she has a white dress the whole movie is like, oh, obviously she's, like, innocent and pure. Like, but she's wearing blue jeans. Not, not for like most of them. She's got like white on though. She's wearing she's a, a white, white shirt. shirt. Yeah, white shirt like, and a vest that's like really 80s. Yeah, she's like an 80s teenager though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying like the white. Yeah, no, I know what they're trying to say. Yes. I'm just like. Psh. That's the sound of the air coming out of their argument. I'd like to say, I mean, this movie's a fairy tale. So if we're taking it that way, the white and, and purity is more about not knowing things versus knowing things yeah. about life instead of like a sexual purity well and especially i think that you can't say anything is sexually pure about this movie when you see david bowie well yeah <laughs> no, no, no david bowie like there are whole uh message boards to people who experience their first sexual awakening thanks to david bowie's junk <laughs> um and good for them uh but but yeah i mean when we start talking about like knowledge versus lack of knowledge like the fact that she knows how to get to the Goblin City is a problem for Bowie's character, the entire Jareth, the Goblin King, uh, <laughs> the entire the entire film to the where he literally uses like a reverse version of the apple from the biblical story in order to try and cause her to lose knowledge. Wow. Um, and and her virginity. And, wow, it's something uh. that's that scene is super interesting to me. Like where the whole like dance scene because. That kind of stuff shows up in fairy tales, especially like grim fairy tales. Yeah, the weird fairy dance thing is such a thing. Um, and the idea that it's an orb um, or a circular object fits in the idea of fairy rings and all this sort of stuff. Like, there's it also fits in the idea that it's a womb. 
Okay, again. Yeah, feel, if, free uh, to ex- feel free to expound. Feel free to expound. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. You want to try and fit it into the theory? Yeah. No. A sphere historically has symbolized the womb. Mm-hmm. Not really, though. It's more well, like I've, an upside down triangle. And I've also <laughs> that's a vagina. <laughs> Did you just correct it? Did you just yeah. mansplain vaginas? Would you vaginas? like to mansplain vaginas to me some I, more? I would like to mansplain the fact that a vagina and a uterus are two different things. I would like to acknowledge thank, that. Thank you so I would much. Like gonna, to acknowledge that. Now, as here. far as I'm aware, the two are connected in some way. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't tell you how. Uh, yeah. But I hear they, I I hear they get along pretty well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, people, I, I read the argument uh, that the orbs are eggs, right? Yeah. And yeah. fertility is all there. Um, I, I got to tell you, I, after a point in the film, I had I had given up so much on the idea of the puberty argument that mm-hmm. I got way, way more interested in just the fairy tale touchstones. Because mm-hmm. I think it does that very well. A lot. It does it very well and it does it a lot. Um, and and it doesn't it, and honestly it doesn't end up surprising me that George Lucas executive produced it because if if anyone is excited about taking old stories and putting them in a new space it's George Lucas like a hundred percent and and I think he's uh, of a similar thought as to like someone like C.S. Lewis or or Tolkien in the idea that like you can take these old fairy tales or these old um, you know, ideas and put them in a different space and make them relevant again. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about one other theory that I read. Sure, uh, was those guys that take all their body parts off? <sighs> those guys are so uh, gross. Weird. That scene symbolizes one's changing body. Yeah, yeah, by setting it on fire and I mean, doing bad dances. I mean, literally. Yeah, they are changing bodies. Uh, now, does that mean anything? It means her loins are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish our listeners could see the look on your face. <laughs> like that that was yeah. Um for me, that scene seemed like it would have been fine in an episode of the Muppet Show had she been hosting it and it was done against the black backgrounds they tended to use. Um but man, it is not visually pretty. No. It is not good it comes out of nowhere (laughs) it's like hey we got to get one more song in here we got like a five song minimum for this movie and we got to get one more in and it can't be bowie this time (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's have the weird furry red muppet monster sing something Mm -hmm. and chase her yeah i just in this weird forest that apparently is in the middle of the labyrinth unexplained very lush verdant forest. yeah (laughs) yeah considering you don't see it anywhere on any of the overviews (laughs) of the labyrinth you're like oh this is a pretty labyrinthy labyrinth. Yeah. Wait, why are they outside of it now? To be fair, it right is magic. Middle. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's dancing all over them. It, yeah, did dance. Yeah, <laughs> it dances. So, in addition, thanks to, that, to Gates McFadden, incidentally, that's she was right, the choreographer for that scene. Uh, the only male point of view that we have in this movie, other than the '80s dad, mm-hmm. is David Bowie with his David Bowie bulge. Uh, <laughs> So, is, is there anything to be read into the pronounced nature of the bulge? No. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you guys are looking to me for this one. Uh, uh, no, for you mm-hmm. listeners out there, it it's, means nothing. Well, it means something. It, it means, does. It means David Bowie's uh, picking up two paychecks, one oh. for his acting and one for his bulge. So what is okay? So what do you think the nature of the relationship between Jareth and Sarah is in this movie? The same as the Wicked Witch and Dorothy's relationship. You think? Yeah. Because I don't think the Wicked Witch wants to get into Dorothy's pants. Big Bad Wolf and Little Red Riding Hood. That's different. That's more sexual. I'm just yeah. I'm not convinced Jareth wants to get in her pants. I think he wants her to think he wants in her pants. Yeah, I think I I. Or he just wants to be in charge of things. Or is Sarah just so horny because she's going through puberty that she like we're that seeing she's it over- through her eyes, and he's oversexualized because we're seeing Man, it through. Man, I hers. wish I wish we had two visual representations of that because if, that would make for a, a much more interesting version of him. Because the version of him that we see is always David Bowie being <laughs> David Bowie. Right. I would love to see like a muppety, creepy 
dude who's literally the king of the goblins, and then every time she looks at him, he's David Bowie. Right. Like, that would be way more interesting to me. I agree. I'm sad it's not there. You've made this horrible for me. Because <laughs> now I'm there. I'm wishing for a version of this film that does not exist. Well, that's all I wanted to do, really. Yeah. That's right. all I wanted. I think, yeah. I think it is sexual. Whether it's intentionally that way or not, or just because he's a sexual being. I mean, he is... His, oh, I'm sorry. I, no, it's oh, okay. okay. Go ahead. His, um, the, his statue that, that, that causes him to come into being in this whole story, right? The... Like everything is in the room, in her room. Right. And um, statues in and of themselves are very phallic. Sure, because they point They're upwards. Lines, They're yeah. straight lines. But he is on the nightstand uh, or, or her like dressing table or whatever the hell that thing is. So I guess that could be like that's the closest I can get to it, mm-hmm. honestly, is because he that's what his place is in the room. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I, everyone, everyone else is in the room too, though. So. Mm-hmm. I'd like to touch on, I I mean, obviously it's a little bit sexual. It's a dick right in your face all the time. Um, subtle way to put that. Thanks. Thank you. I'm known yeah. for my subtlety. Yeah. Uh, but I view it more as like a costuming choice. He looks a lot like the Shakespearean sort of actors that you see all the time who wore cod pieces. And mm-hmm. that's pretty traditional. And going back to like your thing about the fairy dances, that's it's very like Midsummer Night's Dream, right? Like that whole scene so i honestly wish they'd up the creep factor in that i I feel like (laughs) that scene if i were like eight years old it would be pretty creepy but as an adult it's just like a lot of masks i i wanted more like there are a couple times where there's actually a cool moment when the whole glass breaks and the they like fall upwards Mm -hmm. unfortunately i can see the wire and if you heard our thing about the prestige depending on which order this appears in (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have a problem with that, but it's a cool visual effect. Um, mm-hmm. Like the idea that they fall in different directions and are pulled in different ways. I think, I think like adulthood, I think, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I think that's the reason though, why I think Jareth comes across as sexualized because mm-hmm. he's not creepy. No, he's, yeah, no, he's, he's not. Pretty, he's a little creepy. He, he's, he's creepy yeah. in like a, in like a Chris Hansen type of way. <laughs> Like, <laughs> we're trying to catch him in the act. I, I would like to see that I mean, episode as well. He's a little bit creepy in the whole, like, fear me, love me, do everything I ask of you sort but, of way. That's but he's not creepy in, like, creepy. a creep. He's creepy in, like, that guy's a creep. He's not creepy in, like, a he's a goblin king type of way. Right. Oh, no, like, he's hot. In, in any of the scenes <laughs> between him and the goblins, it looks like a bad episode of Sesame Street. Like, it's, it's you can tell that the yeah. two, one thing is not like no. the other. Yeah, and, I mean, it makes, yeah, I, people love. I was waiting for the song. Oh yes, yeah, so a penis and a vagina are different, what? but they no. can act, they can interact well together. <laughs> I thought that that's what that song was yeah. about. No, it, well, absolutely not. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. The I every time every time they're in the throne room or whatever mm-hmm. it is, God, it's it's kind of rough to watch. Yeah, because um, it's David Bowie opping, acting opposite. There we go, uh, a baby and puppets. And it's not it's not going well. No, um, no, no voodoo is going to help him out there. Uh, <laughs> no matter who has it, <laughs> who has the power? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I don't know. I just I think that's why he comes across as over sexualized because he's not creepy. I think he's supposed to like be like. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's. I think he. I. They. They try to make him effeminate for sure. And well, I feel I think like David Bowie makes himself a fan. Well, and I feel like the whole white argument falls completely apart in that last scene. Mm-hmm. Like, if your argument is she's wearing white and she's virginal, why is Bowie all in white in the last scene? Mm-hmm. Why does he literally transform into her curtains and then the owl? Mm-hmm. Like, none of that works. Um, and she never leaves the white color scheme either, does she? To be no. fair, so. in that final scene, they are in an Escher painting. Yes, which up, is on her wall. Up is kind of down, so yeah. maybe white in that scene means that you got it on, <laughs> yeah. and like you are impure now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Up is down, black is white. Nice. I also read, really quickly while we're mentioning that scene, uh, someone who claimed that Toby's uh, white and red jumper is blood and... I forget what the white was, purity or something or mm. whatever, but also blood. And where's Waldo? So, well, yeah, yeah also that. That's, what I, I mean, fun side note, he grows up to be Waldo. <laughs> wow, yeah. Changes that also makes the movie more interesting. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't it, though? Um, yeah, I, I, think it's a gr- I think it's a good fairy tale. I, was gonna, I almost said mm-hmm. great, but it's not great. Um, <laughs> I, think it, I think it exists. I think it's a good fairy tale. I think 
the better version of it is probably Mirror Mask. Um, I just wished in this movie at some point, like the Dark Dark Crystal universe would just mm-hmm. break in and yeah. kill everybody. <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I, and I feel like your feeling is exactly what made Jim Henson so sad. <laughs> because he had done, you know, he'd done this brilliant film and then this is, it's fine. It just doesn't it, hold up. It's not funny. It's super not funny. Yeah, it's, it's super not funny. And it's it's not like Jim Henson makes movies that are that like that type of humor all the time. Mm-hmm. Like this movie is juvenile. It's not funny. Yeah, it's not juvenile in a positive way. No, it's just poorly. It's just juvenile. You know, it's it's just, stupid. It's poorly shot in a lot of yeah. in a lot of spots too. And, and it feels cheap. It yeah, does. it feels cheap. It feels and cheap. And the music's bad. I'll it's very it. yeah. It's not good. Bowie. A lot of synth. Um, I felt like going through. I really wish someone would like some someone out there on the internet who's listening to this right now. If you are good at music, recut that with a decent score. I would love to see that. I would be very excited to watch it with a with a decent score and a cleaned up version of any of those those Bowie vocals. They're bad. I still wouldn't. I, w- I would I would be much more interested. Yes, can you recut the movie with Ziggy Stardust instead? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I found I, I mean and. This is one of those things where my my feelings on music and how how it works within a film are, have been mentioned. And I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but you and I have talked about mm-hmm. how much I feel like one song in a movie can make or break a, a trailer. Even right, the wrong choice is going to send it down a, a poor path. And, no, I agree. and I think there's a lot of that happening. Now, here. this movie seems to me like like oh, we've got David Bowie. We yeah. should definitely have him write music and shove it in this movie where yeah. it doesn't belong. Yeah, I don't even necessarily think it's like David Bowie's fault. No, like I think. I think the music in this movie is indicative of what David Bowie sounded like during this period. Uh, I just think I just think it didn't belong in this movie. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is this movie is in in a continuation of a thing that was ha- seemed to be happening in the in the eighties with uh, fantasy esque movies where you just had like one a year and they were kind of like. They were okay-ish, but they were all sort of of this quality level. Mm-hmm. And an, George Lucas was making And them George all. Lucas was making a lot of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and but so was Hanson. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. So there, there's there's a bunch of that kind of stuff happening. I mean, Masters of the Universe comes out the next year, too. Yeah, that was a bad um, thing to bring up. Well, I mean, it's but it's indicative. It's very... I mean, for every... It's not even every. Like, you get the Princess Bride, and you, then you've got everything else, right. pretty much. You, you do get Conan the Barbarian in there. Willow but you was also, fine. Will, Will, yeah, Willow's fine. I also haven't seen that in a long... I also thought Labyrinth was fine. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't seen Willow in a long time. It's yeah. probably this bad. I don't think it's this bad. I watched it fairly recently, and it's not. I mean, I don't think it's bad. It's just not. Oh, I think it's bad. It's not interesting. I think it's bad. I think. I think if you caught the it, characters are bad. I think if you caught it on a Saturday afternoon and you're eight years old, you're fine. I don't think so. I don't think it holds up at all. Yeah. I think the characters are bad, except for the dog that rides the thing. The dog that rides the dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That guy is cool. I was rooting for him the entire time yeah. to like stab Jareth in the eye. Uh, I like the big guy. Oh yeah, Ludo. Who I mean, we talked briefly about this before we started recording, but uh, one of the problems this film had was uh, um, they got sued at, at first with uh, by Maurice Sidnack for two two of his books, not just um, mm-hmm. what's like what's where the o- wild things are. There's where's wild things are and like uh, over there. Or where the wild like, things aren't. Yeah, it uh, starts me, with an O. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, outside over there, there which is literally about a baby being stole by goblins and like a, a nine-year-old yes. girl going mm-hmm. to so like they're, that they're, might be about puberty that one could be this she's too old she's too old i think it's also um, safe to say that where the wild things are is mm-hmm. obviously about puberty but like learning that you're really into furries <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what the spike jones movie was about that's right yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, Ludo is uh, Ludo is definitely Wild Thing influenced. I mean, mm-hmm. if you looked at that, you'd be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, well, clearly that's from that book." Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and that's one of the, one of the ways they settled that lo- that lawsuit is those books appear on her shelf mm-hmm. in the in the sequence. Right. So. I don't know, man. I don't have anything else to say about this movie. Um. 
Yeah, I think it's just it, it just inhabits a strange. That's another thing. It inhabits a strange middle ground of not being dark enough mm-hmm. to be a grim fairy tale and not being sanitized enough to be Disney. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it ends up being middling and, and unimportant. Right. And mm-hmm. I and again, I feel bad because I love Jim Henson, mm-hmm. but I'm right in there with all the other people who looked at it and go, eh. yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And again, like I. I Eight years old, a Saturday afternoon, it's a perfectly good time filler, and you'll probably have warm memories of it. But um, I had to watch it in stages. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and transition then. Sure. Uh, let's transition into our, our fanboy part of the show. Sure. Uh, so we were talking about a couple different people. We were, let's, let's just start with Jennifer Connelly. Sure. Because in this movie, this movie would have made me never want to watch her in a movie right. again. Uh, fortunately, fortunately, she's in the Angley's Hulk. <laughs> That's true. Well, that was a lame thing to bring up. <laughs> uh, but Jennifer Jennifer Connelly has been in a lot of great movies, and uh, and, and this. We talked about Darren Aronofsky last yeah. episode. She has been yeah. in two of his movies. Yeah. As far as I could be totally wrong, but she's been in Requiem for a Dream and mm-hmm. Noah. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I completely forgot he made Noah. Yeah, he yeah. super did. He wow. super did. It's got a great, uh, great uh, like. Time lapse scene in it, one of the coolest things I've seen. Yeah, I completely had forgotten that yeah. movie even exists. I think being that facetious, right? No, there's that super cool time lapse scene in that movie uh, where like it shows the history of like the the Earth mm-hmm. in time lapse. Mm-hmm. So cool with like mm. stop motion stuff. Like mm. there's some cool like artistic mm. stuff in that movie for oh, sure. I remember that one being bad. Uh, I thought the movie itself was fine. Just that sequence was cool. Uh, I'm gonna be lame. I'm gonna say that a beautiful mind is my favorite performance of hers. Yeah, that's uh, probably a, a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I, I feel like she has more to do in that movie than a similar character in another movie would have to do. Like, I, like obviously, true. Russell Crowe, like, kind of, like, gets the, the yeah. meaty part in that movie. Yeah. But I feel like she gets a lot to do. I mean, I made a joke about Ang Lee's Hulk a minute ago, but I also feel like she was the least bad part of that movie. That is true. That yeah. is true. So, I... Holy crap, did you know she's the voice of Spider-Man's suit? That that would be the other thing that I was going to reference. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, no. She is I the voice of that. Spider-Man's, which is like her, her redemptive Marvel thing. That's true. So. That's true. Yeah. Who do they have? In, I haven't seen that movie before. It's Liv Tyler, right? Yeah, Liv, Ty- Betsy Liv Tyler is Betsy Ross in the, in the uh, Incredible Hulk, yes. Yeah, well, that's she was fine. Yeah, she's no Jennifer Connelly. That's true. That's true. She does play a better elf. But, yeah, I've never seen Jennifer Connelly play an elf. Well, to be fair, you didn't really see Jennifer Connelly act at all in that film. So that's that's true. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about. uh, Let's say you're a big Henson fan. I love Henson. You're a big Henson fan. Tell me about Henson. Uh, I'm super sad that this was like one of the last. I think the last film he directed Mm -hmm. because it's not a good example of what he can do or Mm -hmm. what he has been able to do. It's a great. I mean, there's lots of collaboration in there. Um, with people he's known for collaborating with. Uh, and Henson Workshop is involved in a lot of different things that are really worldwide in his... Uh, <laughs> but if I'm going to go with... Man, I don't know, man. I, I love the Muppet movie so much. The, the original one. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that movie is just so much... So much beauty in one space. And so so much less... Um, so much less uh, cash-grabby than, mm-hmm. than the later ones are. Um, but I really do, I really do like, uh, there's, there's some just great stuff that he delivers as the voice of Kermit and Rolf in the, the Muppet movie, mm-hmm. uh, especially the line where, uh, Rolf was explaining what he does after work. And he says that he like, uh, takes himself for a walk or has a beer, takes himself for a walk and goes to bed, mm-hmm. which is like both the most human thing you could be doing and also the most dog thing you could be doing at the same time. <laughs> and also it just establishes that the Muppets enjoy beer. And that's, right. I think, a funny thing to me. Like it was very human. And um, that's why I've got to say that I think my favorite Jim Henson movie is The Dark Crystal. Yeah. I think it's just like the... Because I, I like what he what Henson hints at a lot of times with mm-hmm. like his dark side. Yeah. I feel like The Dark Crystal is like the perfect distillation of like his dark side. Mm-hmm. While still making a movie that, like, as an adult, I can take seriously. Yeah, well, I think I think almost every episode of the original run of the Muppet Show mm-hmm. has parts in there that are that are Henson exploring his his different things. I mean, because he comes up as an ad man originally. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you look at some of his original stuff, like the original version of Cookie Monster and Kermit the Frog, these all come out of ad campaigns mm-hmm. that he was working on, and um, 
and and trying to be original and different. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 to a testament to him is that we still think of Muppet so much, like even when someone like his son comes along and makes something as awful as um, the Happy Time Murders, <laughs> we we can still love what what uh, he, he has done. So right, no, and I think even just the. Like the concept of Muppet, quote mm-hmm. unquote, right. like has has pervaded into into so many different things where yeah. they've used his puppetry and his technology mm-hmm. in so many different. Oh ways. man! I mean, when you you look at the first Ninja Turtles movie, that is all Henson Workshop, and mm-hmm. it is beautiful, and it's one of the early things uh, where they're using sort of that. I don't even know what they call it. I always think of it as distance puppetry. But they 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 have a rig that they're sitting behind a screen and they're working the mouth, but it's happening over behind the camera and you can they you know you can watch it happen Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's just they and then later just the work the henson company continues to do um if you've ever seen the show sid the science kid on pbs which you don't have kids so probably not (laughs) but if you have seen it though it's worth taking a few moments and checking out on youtube or something like that some of the background work on that where you see the actors performing mocap sort of stuff to get the looks and movements with some of the same technology that was in the original Ninja Turtles movie too. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it, he, he was innovating all over the place. Right. Um, and the fact that he get, was able to mount and, and have successfully uh, exist a, a puppet show in prime time for as long as he did, I think is a testament. Like you're not taking away anything from him at that right. point. So. I think especially you can say that based on the number of times they have failed to recreate it. Yes. And, and failed hard. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Disney eventually bought it, that you, it, you know, couldn't recreate it. So they bought it. So that's, uh, that's probably, I think that that's why if you can say anything, if I can say, you seem to be saying a few nice things about labyrinth, but if mm-hmm. I can say anything nice about labyrinth, the, the creature designs and the character designs oh, in the movie are very good. They're a hundred, especially the little dog thing. Oh, all that, all that stuff is. The fox. He's my favorite character. All that stuff is so beautifully Henson, and it comes from. Um, I want to say it's Brian Ford. It's like I think it's like Ford is how you pronounce his last name. His his designs, and then Henson realizing them. Henson, mm-hmm. Henson's creature shop realizing them, and and just the the wonderful work that they do there. And that's why it's, to me, it is sad. And I can see why he was so sad because there are like the scene in the Goblin City where people are running around and there's like the guys riding the dinosaurs. And, and for us now, we're so used to seeing those costumes at Halloween where like kids are just wearing the costume and has a front piece and it looks like a dude's riding something. Mm-hmm. That was pretty original at that point And it's definitely sure. designed much more interestingly. And, and the, the weird guy with the hat that she meets who, I mean, it's incidental, but visually is arresting as all get right. out. Um, and the, the junk, I call her, call her the junk, which I don't know what she's actually called, but she's visually arresting. Mm-hmm. And all these things are like, there, there's so much care put into it. And the only place the care doesn't seem to come through is the the story the, the script the, well i think there's care in the script for good fairy tale telling i think where it falls apart is getting all the pieces together mm-hmm. i think you know i if you have a bunch of different great pieces of things but it doesn't work in the same puzzle you're not going right. to get a, a pretty picture well and we can segue to one person i know you want to talk <laughs> about which is george lucas mm-hmm. yeah like you just described like when george lucas I mean, some people would even argue George Lucas started being like that in Return of the Jedi. I don't personally mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. But but George Lucas, I don't think anybody can say watching the prequels that he doesn't have a great visual imagination. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a ton of creativity in those movies, in all of the creature designs and all of the character designs, which you can find in this. But like you said, the pieces don't yeah. fit together. I think I think George Lucas was an auteur, and I think he got. To the point where no one would say no. Oh, 100%. And I, but I think he's definitely interested in the same sort of things that like C.S. Lewis is interested in as a writer, uh, like that Neil Gaiman is, inter- is still interested in. Um, he's interested in these ideas of these fantastical stories that we've been telling over and over and over. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason why when they talk about the hero's journey, you keep coming back to Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. as like this great example of it. Um, he's really interested in those things. And so the fact that he executive produces this is not surprising to me. That The fact that his fingerprints are all over Willow doesn't surprise me. Um, he made a, he produced a film called Strange Magic 
which is basically a, a digital rock opera mm-hmm. with like fairies and, and that sort of stuff. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. Um, but again, no no shock. If you if you paid attention to him, there's no shock that he does that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's very interested in telling that kind of story, right? Um, with varying degrees of success, and eventually just handing it off to Disney so he can make a whole bunch of money and do something else, right? No, I, I agree. I don't think there's any doubt that he. I mean, some, I think he belongs in the he, pantheon of great storytellers. I really do. Oh, for sure. Yeah, his the, his storytelling abilities have never been his problem. Yeah, uh, that you can look at the at the prequels. Mm-hmm. The story of the prequels is excellent. Yes, it totally improves your your rewatching right. of the original trilogy. Right. Unfortunately, the script and his directing does not back that. No, up. it doesn't help it, and his casting doesn't help it. Some there's there are some <laughs> casting misfires there. Maybe like who? Jake Lloyd. Okay, well, that's the kid actors or whatever. Anyway, like very few directors have a good eye for kid actors. Yeah, I'm just saying Hayden Christensen isn't that great in those films either. That's true. I don't know why the greatest finder of kid actors mm-hmm. is Steven Spielberg. That's true. And they're like best friends. Yeah, should have called Spielberg him in. Didn't take a pass at Jake Lloyd. And be yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, dude. And but maybe too much money. Maybe there was. Maybe that happened. We don't know. And you were nice to Jake Lloyd earlier in the episode. I am, now yeah. we've been mean to Jake Lloyd. Sorry, I still. Th- I still think Jennifer Connelly is worse than Jake Lloyd oh, in this true. film. That's absolutely yeah. true. And Jake Lloyd isn't bad for a kid. He's just not the right choice for this film. I think you're being nice. He is bad for a kid. Yeah, there have been like great a, kid performances. I know a lot of kids, and he's not that bad as far as I'm, kids go. I'm just saying. As you, far as actors go, he isn't so hot. But as far as kids oh, go, well, he's yeah, about in the middle of the pack. Any jackass kid that walks off the street and onto a Star Wars set, yeah, he's probably Well, fine. to be fair, that seems how he got cast. <laughs> well, I don't want to pile more no, on Jake no, Lloyd. No. I legitimately feel bad since I know like how hard yes, he took it pretty Star hard. Wars fans were to him. Yeah, he took it pretty hard. But again, like Jim Henson took this film pretty hard. And we've That's done it today. Well, Jim Henson's also an adult. Yeah, he's also dead. Dead. So. <laughs> but Jake Lloyd's an adult now. Uh, now? In therapy five times a week. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about let's let's the last person we'll talk about. We'll talk about Terry Jones. Terry Jones, Terry yes. Jones. Terry uh, Jones, who loves this space as well. He and Eric Idle love these spaces. That's true. I would say that some Monty Python holds up really well. Yeah, um, I think Jones. First of all, Jones is the only credited screenwriter. He's not the only screenwriter, and I, I think that's it would be unfair to lay the problems of this story entirely at Terry Jones's feet. That's true. Um, I thought you were going to say it would be unfair not to give credit where credit is due to the other people. I'm like, I think they would prefer. Yeah, you no, they would. They're they're perfectly happy that you don't mention that they wrote this film. Right. Um, but he's he, you know he's the screenwriter. He's not the only story person mm-hmm. there. The story comes back to like Henson and somebody else. Right. Um. So you know he, I, I'm sure he did the best he could, and he and he's also working mostly from art sketches too. Mm-hmm. So he he's in a weird spot. He's got like a story. And art sketches, and he's trying to put, again, pieces, put them together, and there are worse choices than Terry Jones, especially no, for at that sure. time, to do that. Um, I just feel like this script feels beneath him. Yes. Uh, it's not as yeah. intelligent. It's not intelligent. No, it's not, as cl- no, it's not nearly no. as clever as he, he is during some of his best Python work. Yeah. No. It's not even as clever as Eric Idle will right. be sometimes, uh, even when he's being lazy about something. <laughs> You know, I, I, I love Eric Idle, but like even when he phones it in, he does a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and... But yeah, this this has a, a sense of being phoned in mm-hmm. a little bit. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, I think that kind of summarizes our, our feelings on the movie. Do you have any thoughts on Terry Jones? No. Or George Lucas? No. You don't have any thoughts on George Lucas? I've seen Star Wars. <laughs> so have <am> I. <laughs> Interestingly enough. You know the funny thing is? Huh. Uh, last episode, yeah. I said I talked a lot of shit about Peter Jackson, and I yeah. said that Fellowship of the Ring is definitely in my top five. Sure. I also feel bad. Because the original Star Wars is definitely in my top five mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I'm one of those guys. Everybody thinks that Empire Strikes Back is better. Yeah. I'm 100% in the camp that New Hope, now New Hope, is better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love New Hope. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. Uh, I think Empire is a better sequel as a film goes, but like sequel. Well, <laughs> I think that Empire is a better sequel than A New Hope, yes. No, I mean like than, than, uh, than other sequels. <laughs> oh, yes. That uh, is true. Um, of other it is things. better than The Godfather Part 3. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, so I just would like to say to Peter Jackson and George Lucas, I'm sorry. Sure, and I would like to I say once again, James it. Cameron, if you're out there <laughs> listening, I would love to debate you about your films uh, in a space where you would never come. Yes, how do you feel that poor people are treated in the abyss? <laughs> <laughs>
And even uh, in a film you like, Terminator 2, yeah. how do you feel the poor people are treated in T2? I haven't watched T2 in a while. Um, so maybe I will. Maybe I should, maybe I will, and we'll just do we'll do a James Cameron rundown where I just talk about how he treats the poor. I feel like in the Judgment Day <laughs> like flash that you get, yeah. I feel like the robots mostly are killing poor people. Yeah, I feel well. You know, I'm not sure what the programming level is there uh, as to whether or not they're programmed to only murder the poor. <laughs> Um, that seems like a RoboCop situation. No, I think that they definitely hate like the rich people that created mm. them. Mm. But I think yeah. they just hate the poor because they're available. Well, right. I mean, that's how the rich feel too. Yeah. <laughs> that's very so. true. So let's go ahead and come to a, a final conclusion. Sure, final conclusion. I think this theory is stupid as hell. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a coming-of-age story that happens to have a guy with a big package. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as the token human woman, I have to agree. <laughs> Uh, so where? So now, after our conversation, are you still at ten percent, or where are you? I'll still give it like a solid ten percent. There's a few things here and there to back it up. But are they on purpose or on the on accident? Mostly that doesn't mean it's not there. So accidentally, there's ten percent yeah. of a puberty story. <laughs> I I feel like that might be true anytime you tell a story about a young person. Though I think that yes. might be true anytime that, like, you tell a story about anything. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, let's, let's. There is at least ten I mean, percent is... of your film is always going to be phallic symbols. Well, I was just going to say, let's, at least let's just uh, let's can we get can we get a, a prequel origin story about that dog and see dog guy and see if I we would get, love that see if movie. we get ten percent ten percent puberty story. As much as I hated this dog, movie, yeah. that character might be one of my favorite Muppet characters of all time. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's so scrappy and fun. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm uh, still I I don't think I think it's a. Uh, a Good fairy tale that longs to be a better fairy tale. Um, and I think it's a, a coming-of-age story. Again, like I said, if you found it on a Saturday afternoon and you're the right age, um, you're going to dig it. What is it with you on Saturday afternoons? Did you only watch movies on Saturday afternoons? No, I just feel kids? like that's the kind of... like Saturday afternoon to me is always that time like you're, for me when <laughs> uh, you were... You, you had you'd watched cartoons in the morning. You probably had some chores you had to do. Maybe... You, you finally get done doing some stuff. You flip on TV. You, you don't have any sense of what's going to be on, but maybe something happens to be on on the channel. You probably missed the first five minutes of it, and it's probably cut up because it's the... It's probably good that you missed the first <laughs> five minutes <laughs> in this case. Yeah, and it's probably cut up with advertisements for toys or whatever, and so you never probably get the full real sense of it, but so you probably enjoy it okay. All right. Yeah. Didn't answer my Saturday question, but that's fine. Well, because I know it did. I said because on Saturdays you probably just watch cartoons all morning. It's and a you've day done on. chores. And you've done some chores, yeah. And then you're like, oh, I'm do something this afternoon. I think I might watch it on a Thursday. Yeah, on a Thursday? You had yeah. a lot of free time on school, Thursday as a kid? School night, man. It's a school night, man. You don't go home until <laughs> 3 30. There's nothing on at that point. It's all it's our it's all uh, Maury Povich show at that point. What's the difference? He's got a big package too. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> um, this has been Alone at the Table. Uh, a podcast about movies and the weird conspiracies that crop up around them. Uh, I'm Luke. I am Nick. And I'm Michaela. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.